text today is in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Christ community. My name is uh, Jason Baum. My wife and I have, and our kids have been members here since 2012. It's my privilege to speak to us today from this passage out of Hebrews. And as I prepared this message, I was reminded of one of my favorite movies, and more than that, my, some of my favorite series of books, The Lord of the Rings. I didn't read them until far too late in life. It was actually when I would commute on a train uh, when we lived in the Chicago area, I read the books. And there are grand things in the books. There are elves and dwarves and kings and wizards who, who I noticed this week have really cool robes. Um, Lame joke. Uh, But, despite all those grand things, what is given the ultimate task is a small thing, a hobbit. They have to destroy the ring of power, and they give that task to Frodo Baggins, a small hobbit. And of all the grand things, only this small The book calls him a halfling, a halfling from the Shire, a simple hobbit, was expected to find a way where great ones could not go and dared not go. And just like the Lord of the Rings can teach us that small things matter, I think the passage before us today also is a good reminder on how important the small things are, how God uses very small things. Before we go any further, would you... Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would, as we just sang, be our vision. That you would help us to see, help us to hear your word, help us to feel its truth upon our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this passage, like a passage we studied earlier in the Bible, or in Hebrews, in chapter 4, is a transition period uh, in the book. We're going to be transitioning from Jesus and the focus on Jesus as our high priest to a focus on our faith. And so with this passage, the author reminds us of two present possessions that the readers of the book have. Two present possessions. 
He summarizes, and we've been looking at these present possessions for the past few weeks. First, he says in verses 19 through 21, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, the first present possession we have is confident access to holy places. Now, the recipients of this letter, as we studied a few weeks ago, would have been surprised by this. They did not have access to the holy places. They couldn't just go into the holies of holies. Only a high priest, only once a year could do that. And now the author's saying, you have free access, confident access, open access to the holy places. When I thought about that, I thought, is there any place that I was off limits to me and then I had access to it? I was given access to it. And how did I feel when that access was given to me? I remembered that a few years ago we were invited to go to the Illini football game, but we were invited to do it and go watch it in one of the luxury suites at Memorial Stadium. I'd never been to the luxury suites, and when you go through, generally the whole crowd goes through one door, but then we got to peel off, not through a door, but up an elevator into a luxury suite. I didn't exactly walk into that suite confidently, like I belonged there, but kind of bashfully, timidly, should I really be in this luxury suite? What am I going to encounter here? It was hesitant. Recipients of Hebrews were asked not to walk hesitantly into the holy places, but told you can go confidently into there. You belong there. That was a present possession that they had right then and there. No longer was the Holy of Holies off limits to you. You could access it. And so that's true of us. We can go to heaven. We can access the holy places, the largest, grandest, luxury suite is open to us. It is presently possessed by us. The second present possession that he talks about is verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. The recipients are told that they have a perfect high priest. The person in charge is great. Compare that to what the Jewish people or Frankly, people in any church experience. The leaders of any earthly church are sinners. They aren't perfect. We have four elders in this church and we try to live up to what we are called to, but ultimately we are sinners. We are not perfect. As well-intentioned, as, as righteous as any leader might be, they are still a sinner. But not Jesus. Jesus. Not the high priest over God's church. He is without blemish, holy, righteous, pure. And he is presently possessed in the sense that he is already right now over the church. So these two things, these two present possessions, confident access to holy places and a perfect high priest, those are presently possessed. If you are a Christian, you have those things right now. Access to the holy place and a perfect 
high priest. Our passage then says, okay, we have these two things and we've spent some time talking about these two things. Access to a holy place and a perfect high priest. And that now should cause us to do three things. First, we should draw near with a true heart. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are to draw near, to come close, not to be afraid, but to approach the holy places with confidence, to draw near with a true heart. A true heart. Don't we all long to hear that description of ourselves? He has a true heart. She is a true heart. To have a true heart. In Isaiah 38, it says that Hezekiah the king walked before the Lord with a faithful and true heart. That is, that he walked with wholehearted devotion to the Lord. Rather than being hesitant, have a true heart. Wholehearted devotion. When we step into the luxury suite, when we step into the holy place, rather than doubt if we belong there, Rather than being unafraid, we are to step with a true heart. But, but how do we get such a heart? The verse tells us that our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. We gain a true heart by sprinkling. That seems like a stretch, doesn't it? That the sprinkling of water is going to convert my heart into a true heart? I know my heart. It's going to take a fire hose and deep cleaning to turn it into a true heart, but our passage says a sprinkling of water. How would the recipients of Hebrews have received this, that they're going to be made clean by a sprinkling of water? Well, let me read for us from Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, the Israel had profaned the Lord's name. They had acted inappropriately, and this was the Lord's response. Ezekiel 36, verse 23. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take, from the na- I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you to your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from your uncleanliness. And from your idols I will cleanse you, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God's sprinkling is enough. God's sprinkling is enough 
to remove a heart of stone and create a heart of flesh. This sprinkling is enough to cleanse us from our idols, enough to remove our hearts of stone, enough to give us a true heart. Just a sprinkling. Not gallons of water, just a sprinkling with God is sufficient. But why is a sprinkling enough to give us a true heart? Go back to our present possessions. We have a great high priest whose power is sufficient that even with just a sprinkling, he's able to cleanse us perfectly so that we can have confidence to walk into the holy places. Just a little sprinkling with God is enough for us to draw near. The first action. The second action, verse 23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Generally, when we hear the word confession, what we think of, or at least what I think of, is the confession of sins, admitting my faults. I think of 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what I think of when I hear the word confession. But a confession can also stand for something that we believe in, a profession of hope, a statement of what we believe. In short, our faith. And it's the upcoming portions of Hebrews we're going to see more and more about faith. So let us hold fast to our faith. But the Christian life is full of wavering faith, isn't it? Yes, there are moments when we believe and we believe deeply. And in those moments, our faith is this huge, massive thing with big handles and we can hold on to it. But then there are moments when we doubt. And our faith is tiny. And so tiny that we struggle to find it, much less hold on to it. What are we supposed to hold on to when our faith is that small? Well, first, retreat to the words of Jesus. In Matthew, He says, if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you can move mountains. It only takes a small amount of faith. The tiniest amount of faith is sufficient. Why is that? Well, the verse tells us, because he who promised is faithful. This is why Tim Keller says that it is not the strength of your faith that matters, but the object of your faith that matters. He is faithful. It's his faithfulness to us that makes our tiniest faith sufficient. One commentator said that he is completely reliable. Completely reliable. And when something is completely reliable, you can hang on to it. His complete reliability should prompt our clinging without wavering. We can completely trust Him. Complete reliability produces complete trust. Unwavering trust. Go back to our present possessions. We have confident access to the holy places. Do, do we believe that though? I mean, do you believe you have access and you can be confident in accessing 
heaven. I think we're tempted to believe that we need some grand ticket. Our experiences like going to a luxury suite or when we are going to some elite, off-limit place, we imagine we have to pay because we do have to pay a steep price. The best seats at any concert or sporting event cost more. When Charlie wanted to enter the chocolate factory, what did he need? A golden ticket. He needed something grand to even get in there. So we're tempted to think that of ourselves, I think, that we need something grand. Our faith has to be this large, massive, huge thing. What the Bible is saying is a tiny mustard seed is admission ticket enough. A sprinkling of water. It doesn't take gallons of water and a grand ticket to get in. You're in. It's a present possession. Christians we have right now, presently, possessing access to heaven. All you need is a sprinkling of water and a mustard seed of faith. So hold tight. Hold tight to the smallest faith. So we have to draw near. We have to hold tight. But those are hard things to do sometimes. Sometimes holding tight to our faith needs to be a group project. Which brings us to the third thing we are to do. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. Let us stir up one another. Stir up one another. That language, one translation of it is to provoke with intensity. Let us provoke each other with intensity. Generally, when we hear words like provoke with intensity, we don't think of positive things. You don't provoke someone with intensity to a positive end, generally. When you hear words like provoke with intensity, it's often provoked negatively. Provoking with intensity in the most extreme form can lead to murder. Murder is the most severe consequence of provoking negatively with intensity. To hate, to feel bitter, to have this unpleasant, unkind feeling Resentment towards another person to be so provoked so intensely can lead to murder. But here the author is telling us instead of provoking with intensity to that severe consequence, provoke with intensity to the positive, basically the flip side of murder. How do we provoke that intensely to a positive end? I think to find the answer to that question, it helps to maybe work our way back from murder. The most severe, negative, provoking. Murder results from hate. Hate results from this feeling of contempt, this feeling of scorn. Maybe it's jealousy. 
And those feelings come about when we nurse negative feelings. And nursing negative feelings can come about just from a whisper. We can talk negatively about somebody. We can gossip just a little bit. And that breeds into negative feelings. And that breeds into scorn. And that breeds into hate. And that, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, murder is the result of whispering criticism. And that thought really hit home as I thought about how we do church how I do church. Here we have a passage that says, don't neglect one another. Encourage one another. But how often, how often if we're honest, when we're lingering in the congregation, when we're getting coffee downstairs, when we're picking up our children, Often are those little moments where just little whispered criticisms of somebody else, even within this church body, happen. Where we allow ourselves to indulge that whispering criticism that leads to negative feelings, that leads to hate, that leads to murder. The smallest things negatively matter. So if we want to provoke each other to the positive end, the flip side of murder, let's replace the smallest negative whispered criticisms of one another with whispers of love and good works and encouragement. Instead of whispering criticisms, if we whispered encouragement, instead of breeding hate, that would breed Love And instead of life-taking murder, it would produce life-giving encouragement. See, the smallest things matter. Tiny, negative, unwarranted whispers have no place in the Christian life. They have no place here. They have no place in a true heart. But the only way we're going to get there is with sprinkling of clean water and mustard seeds of faith. And whispered encouragement turns into severe encouragement. So let our whispers be positive. Let us cling to even our smallest faith. And let us draw near with confidence Jesus is better. That's what we've been saying for week after week after week. And because Jesus is better, it demands our best. And our best, as small and as insignificant as it feels, is sufficient for Him to work through, to change. It's so great that we have such a good God because we're so insufficient on our own. But the smallest things matter. So if you have the smallest faith this morning, be encouraged that that's sufficient for Jesus. He will sprinkle you and you will have a true heart which will lead to severe encouragement.
Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would allow us to sing with our hearts what we sang with our mouths. Be thou my vision. Thou and thou only. Be first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Father, would you change us? Would you sprinkle us with your blood to give us true hearts? causing us to severely encourage one another towards the day that is approaching. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.